electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. Senator Kamala Harris formally accepts the nomination to be the Democrats' candidate for vice president. With one night of the DNC to go, pollster Frank Luntz says there's plenty of work still to do. Tonight, Joe Biden has to give more specifics about what he's going to do. And I think that that's going to challenge viewers And maybe that's why they're not being specific. Apple flirting with a market cap of $2 trillion, doubling in valuation in just over two years. When you think of the power of an iPhone and what it can do compared to when we had no phones, then we had flip phones. And sports during a pandemic. The Washington football team's new president, Jason Wright, on safety plans for the NFL season. If we're able to lay out a clear plan, then players are able to assess as really smart individuals themselves who have a ton of autonomy and an ability to make risk trade-offs to then decide how they want to participate. Those stories and more China trade talks may be back on, California may be off for Uber and Lyft, and Joe Kernan, trend watcher. Not the white fang sparkling water. I don't even know, whatever it's called, white, no. uh, white claw. No. It's Thursday, August 20th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. He's enjoying some uh, well-deserved time off. New this morning, China and the U.S. have agreed to review the progress of that phase one part of the trade deal. Uh, They're going to do that in the coming days, according to China's Commerce Ministry. Talks scheduled for last Saturday were postponed due to a scheduling conflict. The review comes, uh, newsflash, as U.S.-China ties have apparently deteriorated in recent months. <laughs> but just, just summarizing that that, um, that just, well, you know that, but we just figured we'd yes. say that's one of the reasons why, I guess, right? We knew that. Though. Yeah, yeah, we have God. seen, we did, it, we have seen a, a, a series <laughs> of things that have shown us the relationship has deteriorated. Right. It's a pretty important one, too. Um, I don't know. This. Right. It, it, but the, the, the rift, if you were to, to try to, to just put the different segments of the rift, I think you're up in almost double digits at this point. I, I was thinking yeah. about it, just how many different things that have become uh, bones of contention between us and, and, you know, the second largest to be the largest someday economies in the world. And, and you know, the global globalist nightmare because we need them. They need us. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess we, we need it on uh, in a certain way that's, that's beneficial, mutually beneficial, and where one side's not taking advantage of the other, I guess, is what the administration would, would probably argue. Just from the market's perspective yeah. on, on this note with China, um, remember what happened back in 2018 where you saw the market had gone up and then really significantly pulled back on all these concerns about the trade talks and the, the, the poor relationship. And I just wonder if that comes back at some point. To this point, the market hasn't seemed to care, figured they could look past uh-huh. it. And even for all the differences, the, 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 the trade talks will at some point continue to go forward. But I think that would be potentially a big issue for the markets. Right. We, the market was watching 
the slightest body language out of China, and it was good for more than a 103 points or whatever we're seeing today. I I mean, we're Mm -hmm. at all-time highs in the S&P in spite of what we just talked about, all the deteriorating conditions. But it's in spite of so many things that that that's why people think it's, uh, you know, it's not real. Apple um, became the first company to ever cross the $2 trillion valuation. Mark joining us uh, for a look at how we got there and where the stock could go from uh, from here, Chris Queso, Managing Director at Raymond James. Got to say, Chris, it, when it was six, seven hundred, uh, people said, look, it's it's at like nine, six hundred, uh, six, seven hundred billion. Uh, it, it people constantly pointed out that it was at nine times earnings and had all this cash and deserved to be much, much higher. Here we are uh, at two trillion. Is it expensive now? Well, it certainly it certainly moved a lot, and uh, you know I remember being on the show you know, a little more than a year ago, and we upgraded the stock, having to justify that trillion dollar valuation, and uh, uh, it's a good problem to have right now. But listen, I think the reason why the stock has moved as it has over the last year is you know the reason we upgraded it last year was the anticipation over the five G cycle, which hasn't been announced yet, but it's coming soon. Uh, you know, obviously, what's happened the market interest rates, which has re-rated equities in general. And then, you know, for Apple itself, and I think the reason why it has it had gotten that discounted valuation in the past is people remember what happened to Motorola and Nokia in the past. And, you know, in the handset space, you know, being in the lead is not forever. But, you know, I, I think people are perceiving Apple to be differently now because of the ecosystem, because, uh, you know, it, it's the handset is still, in our view, the most important driver of earnings for the stock. But, uh, you know, it's the ecosystem that, that keeps you in and prevents Apple from becoming Mo- Motorola and Nokia. And, and I think the re-rating of the stock tends to reflect that. I remember all those companies. I remember uh, Cisco. I remember Digital Equipment. I remember all of them. And, they, and even remember Microsoft. But Microsoft somehow, somehow came back. Apple seems kind of different from all of them, uh, Chris. And, and that's a very scary thing uh, to say, obviously. Um, but when you think of the power of an iPhone and what it can do compared to, you know, w- it, when we had no phones, then we had flip phones, and now you, you're carrying around a Sperry Univac, t- 10 times more powerful than the original Sperry Univac you're carrying around in your pocket. So, and then you, they didn't have a car, and they haven't done TVs really to, to any extent, and yet the stock's the $2 trillion. They haven't had to do anything but just be great at what they do. So I said, Tim Cook, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, you, you remember back when, uh, when when Steve Jobs handed over the reins, one of the things he said to Tim was, uh, you know, be, be your own person, be your own manager. And, and, you know, I think he's actually really been, been the right person for Apple as it's grown to be a large company because, you know, that focus on operations and logistics and all that, getting so many phones out the door is really yeah. what they need. Right. And, and, and we'll yeah. see what happens with the, with the new iPhone. We'll see, we'll see how good it is. Uber and Lyft are warning that their ride-hailing service will shut down in California as early as tonight unless an appeals court steps in to intervene. The companies say that it's impossible for them to comply with an order to reclassify hundreds of thousands of drivers as employees in a short amount of time. They say that a shutdown could last several months. The classification of drivers as contractors saves the companies millions of dollars a year because they don't have to pay benefits that go along with that. And this is a big game of chicken and egg. I think they are probably relying on the fact that Uber
Uber and Lyft are so popular that you will hear Californians come back and complain about it, uh, although they would have had a better case doing this six months ago than now during the pandemic when rides have been down. Um, but Joe, the argument that they have not had time to prepare for this is a little specious because they've known these things were out there for a long time. Look, they, they can't afford to do this. Uh, they will say that it will mean that they won't turn a profit for uh, forever. Um, and, and that's a better way to come at this. But to say that you don't have time to do all of this, they've known this was out there, known this was a threat for more than six months. Yeah, but there's no answer to the threat. And, and it's a, it, yeah. this next story, I think, it, I think it's more of a California story. I do. And you've and yeah. and heard Elon talk about, I'm out of here. Here's another one, mm -hmm. and a really sexy one. Um, uh, data analytics firm or software company Palantir relocating its headquarters from Palo Alto, uh, California, to Denver, Colorado. And they didn't say, um, you know, for the climate or the air or the mountains. Um, the, the company announced last month it's filed for a public stock offering. And in, in an interview with uh, Axios, CEO Alex Karp said he just said it. He's against the increasing intolerance and monoculture, monoculture, the Silicon Valley. And it was considering the move. So if you're a state and you want to help the people that live there, you need tax revenues. It's just somehow it's got to happen. Tax revenues either got to come from, you know, the companies that are domiciled there or the people that work for the companies that, that are there. And, you know, you can be as woke as you want to be. But if you can't figure that out, that if you drive and if you drive anyone that has money, like in New York and New Jersey, millionaire tax, you drive those people out. It's not that. Yeah. You know, you don't get the million that you don't get the million you're taxing them for because they're gone. Right. I mean, right. just, you know, connect the dots uh, anyway. Yeah, I, 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 I get it with Elon Musk saying that he's going to move a factory to Texas or Palantir saying it's going to relocate a headquarters. I think the Uber and Lyft is a much trickier deal, though, because they can't just move. I mean, California is yeah. a pretty important market for both of them. And the idea that they it would is. not be able to operate in those states, um, I, I think this is a, a huge deal, something we've been watching for a long time to kind of figure out how they work with this, how they work their way around it. I think they would like to get on the ballot to see if voters actually support this for them again, if they kind of come back at this. But uh, this is a huge game yeah. of chicken that's been going on for a long time. Yeah, you need it. In California, a lot, too. It's a, not the greatest mass transit system either. And too many cars, too many people, too many one-person, right. you know, riders around it. It got a little better. I've mentioned this a bunch of times with Google Maps or with Waze because at least you can. You know, I used to be, when I lived out there for seven years, I was trapped on the freeway. It's like, I'd like to get off. Um, you know, I'm sitting in. It's going to be four hours because I'm not go? moving. But I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm not. No, I'm, I'll just stay. Now you <laughs> get off go. and I'm like, you know, right. I'm going through neighbor. People are like mad because their quiet neighborhood has all these people <laughs> taking shortcuts. But, you know, California, there's just too yeah. many damn. There's just too many cars. The, the traffic almost almost yeah. makes up for the weather. How uh, you know, it almost cancels out the nice weather. I see Krispy Kreme here. This next here. story is for you. And actually, it's really for for Andrew. He's not here to enjoy this. But Krispy Kreme announced that it's going to be opening its new flagship Times Square location on September 15th. Joe, it's going to be right around the corner from you. The shop will feature the world's Whoa, largest hot light and glazed waterfall, and it will offer 24-hour street-side pickup. That location is expected to turn out, get this, 380 dozen donuts an hour. So there's plenty. You know, go ahead. Eat all you want. We'll make more. 
they're awesome that they're on the band list, though. They really are. They're just they're. <laughs> I, I can't do it. I can't do it. It it, it, it you can equi- you can you know do the math on on minutes on the treadmill. Now, so what would you rather yeah. do? The minutes on the treadmill or not eat right. the Krispy Kreme? I don't want to you know be on the treadmill you know yeah, eleven I mean, hours a day. I would choose. Not to partake, but that's why I said the story is for Andrew because he can eat like eleven or twelve of those things in an hour. Yeah, I know, I know. Youth is He's wasted like on the young. Leg. It is. He does. <laughs> I'm not sure how it works. Uh, not sure how that works with with him. Really, but someone wrote in the other. He did. I did. I didn't realize what a great line this was. The vice. For the the one vice that he's admitted oh. for the Sorkin family was sparkling Ooh, water. The Sorkin family, I saw this. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, sparkling <laughs> water. <laughs> and I don't think the not the not the yeah, uh, sparkling water like the, not the white fang sparkling water. I don't even know whatever it's called. White no. uh, white claw. No. Yeah, white fang. <laughs> Next on Squawk Pod, Building the Case, pollster Frank Luntz on the challenges met and unmet in the 2020 Democratic National Convention. In the end, it's not just why the opponent is wrong. It's also why your candidate is right. And that's not what they're doing right now. They have successfully criticized Trump. They have not successfully built up Joe Biden as of yet. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Senator Kamala Harris giving the biggest speech of her political career last night at the mostly virtual Democratic National Convention. She made history, accepting the party's nomination for vice president, the first black woman to do so, and she addressed inequality in the economy. Right now, we have a president who turns our tragedies into political weapons. Joe will be a president who turns our challenges into purpose. Joe will bring us together to build an economy that doesn't leave anyone behind, where a good paying job is the floor, not the ceiling. For analysis on night three of the convention, Becky Quick spoke with Frank Luntz, pollster and political strategist. And I want to remind you of something. We spoke with Luntz last week on Wednesday, August 12th, and he gave us a peek at his work from home setup, a replica White House. This is actually my home in uh, California. This is a 78% replica of the Oval Office. And over here, as I turn this around, this is the Lincoln bedroom. Hold on, don't, okay, hold don't, on. Go ahead. Oh, this is not a green screen? Please scroll back in our Twitter feed, at Squawk CNBC. You can see video of the live tour there. And this is a genuine Resolute desk. I'm going to put it there behind me so you can see, including the buck stops here. Wow. And this was our most engaged tweet, I think, ever. It has been viewed more than a million times, and only some of those were by me. 
Today, Luntz didn't disappoint. To give you a picture for your mind's eye, he spoke to us in front of the iconic I Want You recruitment poster. You know the one where Uncle Sam is pointing an accusing finger of moral responsibility. More than four million copies of that poster were printed between 1917 and 1918. And of course, Frank Luntz has the original, which he'll tell you all about. Here's Becky. How are the Democrats doing overall at this convention in terms of uh, trying to offer something inspiring, something visionary versus trying to attack uh, the current administration? How, how are they kind of shaping up on this front? Well, this convention reminds me of the 2004 John Kerry convention where they did a very good job, an excellent job of making the case against George W. Bush, but not as good a job at making the case for John Kerry. In this convention, she did it uh, herself. She talked a lot about the failures of the Trump administration, and she did communicate, and they have communicated several, uh, uh, a significant amount of why Joe Biden has a good character. But they've laid off the policy, and that's really what people tune into at a convention. Now, I want to correct one misinterpretation, which is that they claim that the viewership is down. Yes, on network TV, and on cable, less people are watching these, this convention. But on streaming, online, it's a record number of people that are tuned in. And overall, it's about the same this year as it was four years ago. So people are watching, even though you don't have the live uh, drama that most conventions have. And in particular, Kamala Harris gave a good uh, representation of, of why Joe Biden's character should be trusted. But she did not get into tax policy. She did not get into regulatory policy. What your viewers want to see, the business aspect, the economy, she did not discuss yesterday. Now, I did something that consultants do, which is I turned off the sound and I wanted to watch her. And she had a very engaging presentation, if you look at it visually. But that's not what voters want to see. It's not that they want to be engaged by her. They want to be informed by her. And tonight, Joe Biden has to give more specifics about what he's going to do. And I think that that's going to challenge viewers. And maybe that's why they're not doing it. That's why they're not being specific. Frank, let's go back to this. You said that this reminds you of the John Kerry 2004 uh, Democratic Convention. That wasn't a successful campaign. Do you think this one will be? I think it's more likely to be. And they've also learned from 1984, from the Walter Mondale Convention, that the more specific they are about policy, the more the people get upset with it. If you remember back in 84, uh, Mondale said, I'm gonna raise your taxes. That's Joe Biden's official tax policy, that if you're one of the typical viewers watching, you're gonna pay a lot more after the election if Joe Biden's elected. And so they're not gonna be specific about that. The key in any political commercial, and that's all this really is, is to get people to watch get people to listen, and get people to feel comfortable about the candidate and the campaign. And that's one of the th reasons why Barack Obama's speech yesterday is actually one of the best speeches I've ever seen delivered that wasn't to uh, an audience, that he laid out the reasons why. And I know that if Donald Trump were watching right now, he'd be really upset because Obama delivered a blow-by-blow about why Trump should not be reelected. It was effective, it was personal, it was humanistic, uh, and it really, I'm sure it connected to the viewers. But in the end, mm -hmm. it's hey. not just why the opponent is wrong. 
It's also why your candidate is right. And that's not what they're doing right now. They have really not gotten into what Joe Biden will do on day one, on day 100, in the first year and four years to make a difference for the American people. They have successfully criticized Trump. They have not successfully built up Joe Biden as of yet. Well, let's talk about that, that strategy. Michael Beschloss, the historian, tweeted this last night. He said, no former president has ever attacked his incumbent successor at a convention like Barack Obama tonight or even come close. You mentioned um, what this speech kind of took on, but let's listen to a clip of it right here. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. And the consequences of that failure are severe. 170,000 Americans dead. Millions of jobs gone. Well, those at the top take in more than ever. Frank, obviously, President Obama taking a very calculated risk here, deciding that he's better off going on the offensive and trying to rally the base to get out and vote. Um, what do you think of that strategy? You don't need to rally the base. And in fact, this is going to be a referendum on Donald Trump rather than a referendum on Joe Biden. And if it's a referendum on Donald Trump, candidly, he's going to lose. He can't talk about where jobs were in March. He can't talk about where the economy was because nobody remembers. If you talk about how good things had gotten at the beginning of this year, it'll be lost among for people who don't have work or are nervous about they're going to lose their jobs or with the economy having contracted so much. There are two things that are remarkable about the last three days so far. One of them is the focus on small business. So while this may not please Wall Street, it will please Main Street. Democrats have forecast I've done more talking about small business and representing small business than I've ever seen at any convention. Clearly, they think that that's up for grabs. And second is that the focus on Pennsylvania, that the, uh, Obama speech you just showed, he delivered it from Philadelphia. There's been more Pennsylvania uh, attention, more speakers from Pennsylvania, more speakers in Pennsylvania. So they clearly have realized that that's the key state. And they're trying to make this feel, even though the convention's supposed to be in Milwaukee, they're trying to give a Pennsylvania feel to it. I think it's a smart strategy. I think that they are paying close attention to the language that they, that they use. But tonight, Joe Biden has got to be specific about economic issues, about how he's going to treat, treat uh, uh, and how he's going to bring back these millions of jobs that uh, Obama says that they've lost. He's, if he's not specific, then he will have missed this golden opportunity for 25 million people watching. Tonight it might be 30 million to be able to say, this is not what I'm against, this is what I'm for. But Frank, you said he should be specific, but not too specific. He shouldn't say that he's going to raise taxes, which he is. Uh, but that's what he's going to be challenged on. And, and don't forget, five days from now, six days from now, the Republicans are going to get their shot. So, so and this will be the last time until the debates where, where the Democrats are unedited, unfettered. And when you get 30 million people watching you and you have a, an hour, which is probably, let's say Joe Biden goes on for 35, 40 minutes. If he doesn't tell people where they are, it, it's like uh, the, the dinner that you have, that you're hungry five or 10 minutes later. This is a unique opportunity. The settings have been reasonably good, although I will say this, the production values are authentic. They miss their cues. They, they, they get false starts. That actually shows you that this is something real, which, which voters do want. But they want something substantial. And, and that's what tonight is going to be all about, something substantial.
All right, Frank, thank you. Uh, it's good to see you. And we'll talk to you soon, probably next week, about what to expect from the Republicans, too. And can I show you one thing, which is this mm -hmm. is the original poster of Uncle Sam's I Want You. And to the left of it is the actual original charcoal drawing. Every time that you and I talk, I'm going to show you something else that, uh, that you might see in the Smithsonian, but you can actually only see in my home. Where'd you get it? Uh, this was purchased at auction, and to me, this is the ultimate Americana that Uncle Sam wants you. They only made 2,000 posters of it initially, and it was such a hit back in World War I that you can now find this in literally millions of places. And that is the original printing of the poster and the original charcoal. <laughs> you can see that Uncle Sam was much more menacing initially. Uh, it's a way to get to feel history. And with what's happening with Kamala Harris being nominated, that, that historic event, I thought I would bring viewers a little bit of history this morning. Thank you. I'm sorry I missed the tour of the Oval Office last week, but I want to make sure I'm here for the next uh, go-round. Um, good to see Got you, Frank. It. Thanks. Coming up, the first black president of an NFL team, Jason Wright, has a lot to deal with. Coronavirus, harassment concerns, and renaming the Washington football team. If you think about fan engagement, it's one of the major drivers of value for the franchise. And so this is a really important decision. And it's one that's going to be done in a pretty open and collaborative way. Oh, and it's only his first week on the job. Squawk Pod will be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. Jason Wright is the new president of the Washington football team. Obviously, that's a team that's going through a significant rebranding. As a former NFL player and a former partner at McKinsey with an MBA degree, he has a strategy to lead the team through all this change, all while dealing with a virus-impacted season, too. Wright also happens to be the first black team president in the NFL, and he joins us right now. And Jason, first of all, congratulations. I, I, the last time I saw you, you were still at McKinsey. I think it was about a year ago. And uh, I just want to say congratulations on the job. It's great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back, Becky. Thanks. You know, Jason, I know you've always said that you really enjoy a challenge. And boy, did you get one here. Where do you start? Um, well, I mean, there's a few places to start. Obviously, you've laid out one that we're navigating a COVID season. And while there's a really good plan in place uh, at the team level and the league has given really clear guidance that we can execute with excellence, I think every business has learned that COVID is incredibly unpredictable. 
Um, so we're going to have to be really data-driven, have to have a good dashboard. We have to check it regularly, um, stay up to date on the latest information, and then be agile. We're going to have to shift our operating model. Things will change. Um, so I think that's number one because the health and safety of our players and staff is most important. And then we're going to have to get our, our culture right uh, on the business side of the house, um, really address the allegations of sexual harassment, and then build a, a really empowered culture because we have great innovative talent and we need to unleash it. Yeah, there, there's so much going on, not to mention just coming up with a new name for the, for the team as well, dealing with the idea that you're just the Washington football team for now. Where do, where do things stand on the naming front? Uh, you know, we're right at the beginning processes of thinking about, you know, not just a name. I've been calling it more than that. I've been calling it an identity. Um, and, and as you know, from a business perspective, you know, this is critical to how we think about expanding the value of the franchise over time. Um, but it's tied to um, what, 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 what's really substantial about creating a new identity. It's because it informs the way that we engage with fans, the way that we redesign the fan experience, uh, the way that we engage charitably in the community. And if you think about fan engagement, it's one of the major drivers of value for the franchise. And so this is a really important decision. And it's one that's going to be done in a pretty open and collaborative way across the fan base and other stakeholders uh, so that we get it right um, and that it is really representative of the DMV area and everybody that cares deeply about the team. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard a few good suggestions that have been brought up. Maybe the Americans would be a great name or the Red Tails after the Tuskegee Airmen that are out, uh, out there. Uh, but maybe the worst name I've heard is the Swamp Hogs. Do you have a name that's a favorite of all the ones that you've heard so far? Uh, no, I do not. I do think uh, I've learned a couple of things over my, you know, week zero um, on the job, because technically I'm still a partner at McKinsey, um, uh, that we have a really creative fan base. They are passionate and super engaged, um, and that we have some really funny people. <laughs> you know, Jason, I, I think of your experience as a player, not just a player, but I know back in 2011 for the lockouts, you were one of the labor union representatives during all of that. So you, you obviously have a, a full experience of being able to bring this to the table. Where do you stand when it comes to COVID and player concerns about safety? How do you come down on that, making sure that you're doing what's best for the team, but also making sure you are taking care of the players? That's a great question. I'll even take a step back and just think about, um, share an experience that I had as a, as a rep that sort of informs how I think about this. Um, you know, as a player rep, it was the first time I was really exposed to the business side of the sport and really thinking about all of the things that happen in the background that allow us uh, to have this game that so many people in this nation love deeply and around the world love deeply. Um, uh, but what I, what I learned during that process and I went through in my own mind was that um, it's really about creating transparency of information. And just like anything in the market, every individual, every company, every investor has to, uh, has to consider the risk and return calculation for them as an individual. And so I think the thing that we as teams and, um, and, and, and that the league owes to the players is to have a clear plan uh, that lays out things with as much detail as possible in the environment where we know COVID has some unknowns. But if we're able to lay out a clear plan, then players are able to assess as really smart individuals themselves who have a ton of autonomy and an ability to make risk trade-offs to then decide how they want to participate. And I think that's the best thing that we can do is to lay out that clear plan, follow best practice guidance, and then roll from there. And then everybody is free to make the decisions they need to do, um, and we make sure that everything is ticked and tied. You, you mentioned that culture is going to be a big issue that you're working on, and, and you also brought up the sexual harassment charges that have been made against the team. What does that mean in terms of how you handle it, what you do? How do you go about changing culture? 
you know, uh, you know, thankfully this is something that I've had the chance to help, you know, many complex um, and important organizations around the world do over the last few years. Um, and in this case in particular, I, I, I was excited to take this role um, because of what Dan and Tanya Snyder, the owners of the team, had decided to do around these allegations. You know, they brought in an independent investigator uh, to take a look into this, um, in a, in a seasoned and really smart one. Um, and, uh, and that signals to me that there's a shift coming, because this is not something companies do on the regular. It's just bring somebody in and allow them to write you know, a, a, a report that um, is completely independent. Right? Uh, it's a very risky and bold thing to do, um, uh, irrespective of where uh, the starting point is, um, and, and I'll find out soon when I'm in role. I know where we want to take it, to a culture where people are empowered to speak up when they see leadership that doesn't align with their values, a culture where uh, all voices are included on the key decisions for the strategic direction of the club, especially women's voices, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it actually is the prudent business thing to do. I'm sure you've, we've talked about this before, but you know, a diverse leaders on decisions make better decisions um, and, and generate more value over time, and then we need transparency in our culture. Um, um, and so depending on where we are, I kind of know the three to four paths that are likely to get us there. And we have really talented people. And so um, I know that we will be able to move there, um, move there quickly. Jason, I know you're only about three and a half days in at this point, um, but we really appreciate your time. And we'd love to get an update from you as you continue down this path. It's really good to see you again. Yes, likewise. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen, we will be there. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.